Thanks for listening to this Waterstone message. Here at Waterstone, our mission is to advance God's kingdom to God's glory. This year during our Advent season, we are digging into what it looks like to be part of a different story. Together we are rediscovering what Christmas is really about through spending less, giving more, loving all, and worshiping fully. We hope this message challenges and encourages you, and we would love to see you at one of our services on Saturday evenings at 5.30 or Sunday mornings at 9 and 10.30. We also want to invite you to be a part of our Christmas Eve service, Tuesday, December 24th at 1, 3, 5, or 7 p.m. Well, good morning. Thanks for being here. The kids were awesome, weren't they? Oh my gosh, I swear mine were just that age, and now they're no longer. How does that happen? I don't know. Um, This is our second week of Advent, and we are in the midst of an Advent sermon series called Part of a Different Story. Paul talked about this a little bit, in which we're really looking at not only the fact that Christ came on, um, on Christmas, but that he really came and we're looking ahead to when he returns again and the celebration of that space. So last week, Larry talked about um, spending less, and that's really about how do, we, how do we really pay attention to our financial resources and spend less on some of the things that may be unnecessary so that we can build the foundation of what it looks like for Christ to renew his people and his creation through some of our finances. This week, I get to talk about give more, and you would think that give more is, you know, the flip side, that it would be about money, but it's actually about time. It's about investing in other people. It's about relationships, and uh, sometimes that can be really tricky to think about, especially around the holiday season, giving more relationally. Um, I don't know about you, but I kind of think, gosh, I don't have time to do anything, so how am I going to give more? But I think we'll find out today that there are some opportunities for us to do that. It just really depends on, on where we're coming from and what perspective we flow, that flows out of us as far as the reason behind giving more. So to set us up for this, um, I thought that it would be awesome for us to think about um, a holiday party or a holiday gathering with friends and family. Um, Oftentimes, kind of giving more relationally starts at a dinner table. And to get us prepared for the Bible story we're going to talk about today, I want to watch this movie clip together. Before we begin, since this is Aunt Bethany's 80th Christmas, I think she should lead us in the saying of grace. What, dear? Grace! Grace! She passed away 30 years ago. They want you to say grace. The blessing! I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation with liberty and justice. Amen. 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 
Oh my gosh, you missed it. First, first service, the audio went out, so I became the audio for the entire film. I thought I did a pretty good job. <laughs> okay, very important question. How many of you have not seen the Christmas, the Christmas Vacation? Okay, your assignment this week is to go watch Christmas Vacation. It's hilarious. But I, what I hope you captured a little bit is that those gatherings can be awkward. There are all sorts of dynamics at play, whether, again, whether it's with the, your coworkers that you're sitting with, um, whether it's with your friends, whether it's with family, those can be a really awkward place. And so as we start to think about giving more, these are the people we're talking about giving more to. It's sometimes it's the people that may get under our skin the most. And so what, is it, what does it look like for that to happen? So I want to take us to a Bible story this morning that I think is really going to help us figure out and give us some clues into what it looks like to give more. Um, if you would like to follow along, in front of your chair, there, is a, um, there are Bibles in there, and I'm reading, I'm going to read portions of it myself. I'm going to tell part of the story, and then I'll put one section up on the screen. But if you're somebody that likes to follow along, it's out of Luke 7, 36 through 50. And it is the story, kind of has some different names. Sometimes it's called the story of the unnamed woman. Sometimes it's called the story of the woman who anointed Jesus' feet. Um, but I want to give you a little bit of background to this story. This story takes place, there's three main characters. Uh, there's Jesus, there's the unnamed woman, and there's a Pharisee named Simon. Um, in the New Testament time, in this period when the author Luke wrote this story, I want you to imagine uh, the table, and it's a table where all of the religious leaders of the community were gathered. We've got a picture of a similar one here, and it's in a courtyard. So all of these um, men, it would have been only men, would have gathered together. They're talking about philosophy. They're talking about theology. They're the ones that really know um, the ins and outs of religion. And on the outskirts of them, because it's this big open area, everybody else can kind of stand around and watch and pay attention and listen to what they're talking about. So typically, those on the outskirts are people that are marginalized through the society. Uh, maybe they don't have any religious background. Most definitely, women would have been on the outside because they wouldn't have been invited into, the in, to, into that inner circle. So just like when you come to visit my house, when Jesus went to visit Simon's house, there would have been specific um, traditions that would have happened, different greetings. So if you come and visit me or I come and visit you, you may have some of these similar ones. At my house, you're going to ring my doorbell or knock on my door. I'm going to open the door. I'm probably going to give you a hug to say hello. I'm going to invite you to come and sit down either at the kitchen table or more likely the counter. I think that that's a little bit more intimate for us to all sit and, and have a conversation. I'm going to offer you something to drink. I'll probably give you either some cheese and crackers or some chips and salsa, depending on what I'm in the mood for that day. Uh, and we're just going to spend time together. In a similar fashion, in New Testament times, when you went to go visit somebody, it was the host's responsibility to do three different things. The first was to give a, a kiss of greeting. That was, you know, instead of the hug that I described, it was a kiss. The second was the washing of feet. And if you think about it, again, in, in this culture, everybody would have been walking around in sandals. It would have been really dusty. Not only is it just a, a respect thing, to, to wash someone's feet, but it also became a way to kind of clean up before the dinner table. And then the third one was anointing with oil. These three things happen every time somebody came to visit. That was your responsibility as the host. In this story, Simon doesn't do any of those things for Jesus. None of them. 
which was unheard of. It would have been especially unusual because Jesus was gaining notoriety. He was traveling from place to place. He was starting to do miracles. People recognized who he was. There was a buzz about him. And so we get a little bit of a a hint into the fact that Simon has ulterior motives, that it really isn't about inviting Jesus, the Messiah, into his house and appreciating the fact that Jesus is there. It's really just about Simon getting notoriety for having this prophet And I say prophet on purpose because, again, in that time, a prophet was somebody that would go from place to place with wise insight. The Messiah was God himself. And so Simon was really responding to Jesus as if Jesus was just any other traveling prophet and almost mocks him by not doing any of the traditional greetings that were expected at that time. So that's kind of this of Simon. In an unusual turn of events, somebody from the outskirts steps into the middle of what's going on and actually does the very things for Jesus that Simon didn't, and it was the unnamed woman. This unnamed woman, um, it's interesting, this this story is listed in all four Gospels, all four uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of those authors tell this same story. Um, different versions of it, different perspectives of it. And any time a story shows up multiple times in different gospels, in different books of the Bible, that's an indication to us that we really need to pay attention, that there's something important going on. So this, this story is really important. And part of what Luke wants us to understand is that he, um, he intentionally uses the unnamed woman because that's how Simon sees her. He, he doesn't give any credibility to the fact that she's a, a human being. He really devalues her. And so Luke really captures that by referring to her as the unnamed woman. The other piece that we catch when we're reading through the text is that um, she's referred to as a sinner. Uh, the, Simon refers to her as a sinner. She was probably known to the entire community as a sinner. Now let me talk about this for a minute. We're all sinners, all of us. And this comes out of the fact that God created the world in his perfection, but we in our rebellious nature decided that we know better than him. This started with the story of Adam and Eve when they were in the garden and they saw the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and they thought that if they ate from that, that they would know as much as God does. We, have this say, we, we do the same thing. We don't outright say to God, I know more than you do, but at times we'll respond as if we know more than God does. Because of the choice that Adam and Eve made, and because of the choice that we all make every day, that that created a separation between humans and God that cannot be repaired by anything that we do. Nothing. It doesn't matter how hard we try. It doesn't matter how good we are. There is nothing that we as humans can do to repair that relationship with God. And this woman that is there, she, she recognizes this. She understands that there's nothing that she can do to repair that relationship with God. So there's this dynamic happening where she, though, something happened to her that transformed her to the point that she was willing to sacrifice her reputation to go into the middle of this gathering. And the question becomes, what in the world would have happened? What happened? She not only crossed uh, gender barriers, she was, she was the senior, Simon and his friends were religious, there's another barrier that she crossed. 
There were probably some ethnicity barriers that she crossed, yet something happened inside of her that she was so transformed that it didn't matter. She recognized that Jesus had done something for her as a sinner. So again, the sinner idea is that we are all sinners. We've all fallen short of that relationship with God. There's nothing that any of us can do to repair that. But for whatever reason, she got the title. Now imagine that. Okay, we all know that we are broken humans. We probably don't dwell on a lot. If we do dwell on it too much, it creates this deep level of shame. But that's, that's how she's labeled. So it gives you a little bit of kind of the background. We've got Simon, that's this religious leader. He's hosting this dinner. He's totally ignoring um, who Jesus is. In fact, he's mocking him slightly. And then this woman, in this unexpected turn of events, comes inside to the circle, approaches Jesus at the table, and does for him the very things that Simon was responsible for doing. So that's where our story picks up. Let me read for us. Um, from chapter 7, verses 37 through 38. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. An alabaster jar of perfume is very, very expensive. So not only did this woman have all of these other things that were kind of counter to who Simon was, she didn't have any money. So somehow she conjured up probably a hunk of her wages to go and buy this alabaster jar of oil. That just tells you how committed she was to going to Jesus. Uh, As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now listen to what's going on inside of Simon's head. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Okay, in that moment, inside of Simon's head, he just negated both Jesus and this woman. What he's saying is, well, if Jesus was really the Messiah, then he would know that this woman was a sinner and there's no way he would let, Jesus would let the woman approach him. He doesn't understand who Jesus is. But at the same time, he's negating the woman. He, again, he's pointing out that she's a sinner. He's not giving her any identity outside of the brokenness that she possesses, which he possesses as well. He's just hiding behind it in his religious attributes. Then the story goes on. Jesus answered him, which is interesting because Simon said it inside of his head. Jesus answers Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. All right, now, Jesus does something that he does often in some of these narratives that I love. He tells a parable. A parable is a story in which we, as the listeners, are supposed to put ourselves in the seat of each person in the story. Okay, so as I'm reading this parable, I want you to work, make sure you're doing that. Okay, imagine that you're each character in the story. And the point is for us to kind of come to the conclusion of who Jesus is and what he's drawing us to instead of him just saying, do this or do that. It, it, because Jesus is a, is, God is a God of choices, right? We can choose to, to follow him or we can choose not to follow him. So this is, there's actually freedom in that. So Jesus is giving us freedom in this parable to put ourselves in the different uh, seats of the characters and then to decide what our response will be. Here's the parable. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. 
Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. The, I was, as I was reading this this week, you know, I was thinking about, okay, which, what am I going to be more thankful for? Am I going to be more thankful, um, you know, if Jesus forgives me and I owed $5, or am I going to be more thankful if Jesus forgives me and I owed $500,000? And I came across the article on Morehouse College. Does anybody, did, does anybody remember this story of Morehouse College? 2019 graduation. Morehouse College is a, a college for African-American young men. Um, it's just, it's a men's college. And this gentleman came to give the commencement speech, and, at, and he happens to be a billionaire. And at the end of the commencement speech, he said, I'm paying for all of your debt. It's all waived. I've just paid it all. If you go online, you'll have to do this uh, later today. If you go online and look, I mean, you should have seen these young men. Like, they're crying, they're joyful, they're celebrating. That would have been a very different response if he had said, congratulations, here's a $5 gift card to go get yourself a cup of coffee. We have the opportunity to put ourselves in both seats. Do we respond to Jesus as if we just received a $5 cup of coffee? Or do we respond to Jesus as if we just had our $60,000 college education waived? That's what he wants, that's where he wants us to go. Okay, now I want to pick up on the screen here. This is my favorite part. Then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? All right, I'm going to do a side note because I read this about 12 times before the highlighted line stuck out. Do you see this woman? This woman probably felt invisible and to some degree was invisible to her entire community. Some of you, some of us, feel invisible to our entire community, especially around the holidays. I just read an article this week that was talking about the loneliest people in our churches, those who aren't married. Those who are aging and don't feel like the church has any need for them any longer. Those who are suffering with an illness or a disability. Those who are caring for someone with an illness or a disability. Those who are struggling with some sort of mental health issue. There are those of us in this room who are feeling invisible and lost even in the midst of being among the church. And what I love about this is that Jesus turned and looked at the woman and said, do you see this woman to Simon? Which means Jesus said, I see you. So as a side note, I want you to know that Jesus sees you. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what brokenness you're facing, no matter what financial hurdle, no matter if you lost a job or you just got a job, no matter if you are unmarried or you are married, no matter if you have kids or if you don't have kids, if you're young or you're old, it doesn't matter. Loneliness impacts everybody. Jesus sees you. And he sees you to the point that he's saying to Simon, I want you to see her too. So, side note, that's a whole different sermon. 
but I just loved it. So I just wanted to talk about it. All right. Um, so Jesus turns towards the woman and says to Simon, do you see this woman? So again, it's, this is an indication that Simon, Simon is not. Simon has not really recognized this woman as anything more than almost one of the dogs that comes in off the street. And then he, and then he makes her the, um, the one that he's praising. She becomes the model of what, what we need to do. I came into your house, Simon. You did not give me any water for my feet but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven." Here's my question as I'm reading this. There's something that happened inside of this woman that she was willing to sacrifice everything to give more to Jesus. So why in the world is the religious leader, the one who's supposed to have the answers, the one who's leading the congregation in different places, what in the world did he miss that she caught? Because something happened inside of her that prompted her to give more. I'm going to hold on to it for a minute. I'm going to take us to something else, totally different direction, but that all ties together. I just read a book a couple weeks ago, reread a book called Leadership and Self-Deception. Any, anybody, any leadership? All right, a couple. Okay. Um, I geek out on leadership books, so this one I love, and I think that it actually has some incredible insight that will help us to kind of translate what's going on in this story. So leadership and self-deception, it's really about um, describing our human hearts and how we respond to one another depending on whether we're in the box or out of the box. Let me explain. Um, we're going to start over on the inside, or no, I'm sorry, on the right, on the outside the box. When we are outside the box, now think of a literal box, okay, like a moving box, okay? When we are outside the box, we're not sitting in it. We view others as people with dreams, hopes, and wants. Others' needs and wants are as legitimate as our own, and people sense our intentions and respond positively. Okay, so there's this idea that when we are out of the box, that we see people as people. This, um, this is us, let's say we're at the grocery store and um, we need to, somebody in front of us is walking out with a big load of groceries and they, there's no automatic doors. It's, you've got to do a handle. You're, maybe you're at Vitamin Cottage, I don't know. Um, so you run ahead to go grab the handle because you recognize, gosh, this person needs help. So I want to I do that. There's this ingrained part of us that wants to help people. Like we're wired to see people. God wired us to see people. Uh, maybe it's that we're driving on the road and we're merging, and um, I'll say I'm merging, and instead of racing to beat them, which I, I mean I would never do, but if, if theoretically I would do that, maybe in that moment I recognize that there's no rush and, and I want to be kind, I want to let this person in. Maybe it's being in a conversation with a, a friend and recognizing, gosh, I just really want to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to put my phone down. I'm going to turn the ringer off. I, I just really want to focus on them. Okay? When we are outside the box, we're actually responding the way that God has wired us to respond. We have these soft hearts that see, we see other people. We see people as people. 
And oftentimes, that's because we can recognize what it's like to be seen. So we're seeing other people, okay? That's the outside the box. On the opposite side of that is if we're inside the box. All right, literally imagine that you are in a moving box. Maybe it's a, a, a refrigerator box. And you're laying inside of it, and all, everything is folded up, okay? The only thing that you can see inside that box is yourself, right? So this is, this is how I remember inside the box versus outside the box. When I'm in the box, all I can see is me. I don't care what's going on outside the box. I'm just focused on me being inside the box, all right? Here's what um, inside the box means. When we're inside the box, we view others as objects, such as a vehicle, a threat, or an obstacle, Okay, now I know that can sound a little bit funny. Obviously, they're still humans, but we do this. When I fail to open the door for somebody that's walking with the groceries, there's a part of me that I have just, I've, I've dehumanized them for a split second. Hey, we all do this, by the way. Every day, we are both in the box and out of the box. So th this isn't a shame session. It's just, it's, it's how we're wired. Um, our needs and wants become much more important than anybody else's when we're inside the box. It's almost like that we have this self-deception. This deception is that I have to fight for what I need. And therefore, I can't, you know, I can't worry about you. I don't, I don't know that I care about you. I just, I'm just worried about me. I've got to fight for my own survival. And then what happens is that we unconsciously resist others and whatever we try to do with them becomes ineffective. Because we're really not having a dialogue with anybody. We're just after our own agendas. If I'm fighting with um, my brother, and I'm na nagging at him, and I don't even give him a chance to respond, that A, that's not a conversation, and B, I'm inside the box. Because I've decided that it doesn't matter what he thinks, or what his perspective of, what I begin to think is he's a jerk, or he's clueless. Well, that's not, that's not a fair descriptor of him. That's no different than when Simon calls the woman a sinner. When I can shift that and recognize, no, he's a person, and I'm frustrated, but he has a perspective that I need to hear, and I want to honor that, it takes me back out of the box. So we're in the box sometimes, and we're out of the box sometimes. If we take this back to our story of Simon and the unnamed woman, I want to suggest that in this particular story, Simon is functioning as if he's in the box. He doesn't care about the woman. He really does, he doesn't care about Jesus. Everything has to do with his own self-interests. He's, he's uh, responding in a way that's prideful, He's sure that he knows all of the right answers. Every time Jesus says something to him, Simon responds in a way that, um, that really negates Jesus. Even when Simon says, yes, teacher, in response, when we read it, it sounds like he's being respectful. He's not. He's negating Jesus. He's saying that you're a, you're a teacher, you're not the Messiah. So Simon is functioning inside the box. On the other hand, the woman, the unnamed woman, the sinner, is functioning as if she's out of the box. She sees Jesus. She sees other people. She may recognize that as someone who has lived a life of feeling invisible, that she wants to be the person that sees other people. She functions in this part of the story, she's outside the box. Where my brain kept going this week was why 
was the guy that we would have thought should have been outside the box in the box and the woman that we thought should have been in the box out of the box. What happened inside of him that he was determined that he wasn't going to see anybody, but really the even more important question is, what did she do that got her out of the box? And here's where I think give more comes into handy. I think that she is out of the box because she recognized the gift that she had been given. She was like one of those students from Morehouse College. She recognized that the debt that had been paid for her was monumental. So she couldn't not respond outside of the box. I think that she understood the gospel of Jesus. I think that she had an engagement. It doesn't tell us this in the story, but there's indication that she had engaged with Jesus earlier than this particular passage, and that she saw him for who he was, as the Messiah. And that makes sense, right? Like, she risked an awful lot to go into the middle of that table if she hadn't already seen that Jesus is the Messiah, if she hadn't already put her faith in him. But whatever happened, she had a transformation where she saw Jesus for who he was. And she understood the story. She understood that God is the creator of all, that he created all things for his goodness and for his glory. And that that moment when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and representatively we all ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when we turned our back on God to pursue our own wants and desires over his, that separation happened. And what she recognized is that when Jesus came, His birth inaugurated the coming of the kingdom. The the much-anticipated moment where the Messiah came into the world and that he was the Savior. And although she didn't get to see the rest of the story, we know the rest of the story. We know that she came to faith just seeing him and trusting that he was who he said he was. We know that we got to see the rest where he died on the cross, where he was resurrected, Where that moment where he made that sacrifice for us, he paid our debt. He showed up and said, hey, give me all the debt you have and I'm going to take it on for you. All of it. All of you. Not some, all. He gave us that opportunity. When he went to the cross and he was resurrected, he defeated sin, he defeated death. And his kingdom that's established here on earth is now in the now and the not yet. And it's really important to understand this part of it because otherwise we start to think if Jesus already came, if he already conquered sin and death, then why do I feel so crummy? Because I'm struggling with this loneliness or somebody that I love has died or someone in my family has a a disability or a mental health struggle or I have a disability or a mental health struggle or I'm, whatever it is, fill in the blank. There's a part of it where like, why is all of this happening if he already came? And it's because we live in the now where Christ already won. We already know the end of the story. But it's when he returns again that all things will be restored back to the way they are intended to be. And that is the good news. That is why we sing joy to the world. That's the advent. That's the moment where Christ came as a baby and we celebrate that on Christmas morning but we get to look ahead to the day when he comes back again and restores all things back to the way they are intended. That's good news. That right there should have us singing and dancing, just like the Morehouse graduates. That's what left this woman singing and dancing. 
She was able to give more because she responded out of the grace that was given to her. And I think that's our big takeaway. God's grace prompts us to give more of ourselves to others. So how do you step in and give more of yourself this, this Advent season? How do you show up at the Griswold table with all your awkward friends and neighbors and relatives and give more of yourself when like Aunt Verna drives you crazy? Well, we, you can't. We can't do it on our own. It is only in God's grace that we're able to give more of ourselves because it's, it's us remembering the grace he's given to us and allowing him to work in and through us so that we can give that to others. So just a couple quick ideas. What if the next time you go to the coffee shop or the drive-through of the restaurant or you go shopping for um, Christmas or you talk to the XL person on the phone, what if you give your grace to that person? Have you ever, have you ever realized that when they're the people that are serve us, whether it's um, face-to-face or on the phone, if you just take a couple minutes, if we take a couple minutes to say, hey, how are you? How's your day been? I mean, oftentimes, it's like they don't know what to do with that. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. There's, we can do simple things by seeing other people. When we see them, it's representing the fact that Jesus sees them. And then what if we continue with the holiday parties? You know, the, the last couple of uh, weeks, we've been talking about hosting these holiday parties. It's not too late. You could do a January 1st holiday party. You could do a Valentine's Day holiday party. Do a holiday party. It's just an excuse. It's a reason to get your neighbors and your friends to come over and hang out. You, know, there's no, you don't have to do anything special. It's just a chance to see the people that feel unseen. And they are all around us. We are some of them. So sometimes when we feel lonely and isolated, being able to see other people becomes a gift. It relieves some of that pain because we know that that's what Christ has done for us. So really want to encourage us this, these next couple of weeks to work on how do we give more and really ha- giving more is about reflecting on what we've been given. So two quick ways to do that. The first is you, if you are here today and you've never had the opportunity to receive that grace of Christ, I just, it's, it's simple. It's not complex. It's, there's nothing fancy about it. It's just recognizing and admitting to God, God, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm a broken mess just like everybody else in this room. And I need you. I know that I can't do it on my own. Will you forgive me for those sins? And, and I want to follow you the rest of my life. It's really, it's really that simple. Some of us in this room have been followers of Jesus maybe for a few years, maybe for 50 years. I think the story of the unnamed woman gives us the opportunity to reflect back on what Christ has done for us. It's almost like you accept the gift And then you get busy doing other things, and then we forget how meaningful the gift was. And I think the story prompts us to remember how meaningful the gift was. What if we reflected this week on God's grace and asked him to take us back to that moment where we truly understood what it was that we had been given? I think both of those give us a chance to then respond out of God's grace for us to give more to others. So as we head out this week, I want to take just a, the last couple of minutes to pray, the last couple of minutes of the sermon to pray for us um, so that we may be people that really do respond out of God's grace in our care for others. Let's pray. God, you are a God who sees us even when we feel invisible. 
And the reality is that regardless of how isolated we feel, regardless of the things going on in our lives, regardless of the debt that we face or the tricky relationships or the loneliness, that you still see us. God, may we first and foremost just accept that. That you are a God who sees us and loves us. And God, as we reflect this week on the grace that you've given to us, the fact that you sent Jesus to die for us so that our relationship with you would be restored with you and with one another, God, we are so thankful for that. And may we respond the way that the Morehouse College students did with celebration, with anticipation of your return. And God, as we step into these next couple of weeks leading up to Christmas, as we celebrate Advent and look forward to your coming return, God, may this be a season in which we truly see others because we know you've seen us. May we demonstrate the love of Christ by giving more of ourselves to our friends, to our family members, to coworkers, God, to all those we come in contact with. And in that, God, may we reflect your love as an outpouring of the grace we ourselves have received. Help us to be a people who give more of you out of what you've given to us. In your name we pray, amen.